are trying something new on the Fish Stripes podcast. Eli Sussman here being joined by Ethan Badaski to focus on pitchers, specifically starting pitchers within the Miami Marlins organization. After years, years of rebuilding trades and overhauling the player development standards, the Fish have an enviable stockpile of talented potential starters. It can be tough to split hairs between them, to distinguish between who you trust most, uh, who you like most, all that stuff. But uh, our objective on this episode and of every episode of the series, we're temporarily calling it Today's Aces. That's a working title. Today's Aces is going to be a power ranking where we tr- where we go through who we trust the most right now on the mound to lead the Marlins to victory in a hypothetical must-win game. Are you ready, Ethan? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. I'm ready to – you know I love some of these arms in the system, so I'm ready to talk about them for sure. And we'll give the people the ground rules. I imagine these will also evolve over time as well. But the main starting point is that we're going to be ranking our top six Marlins potential starting pitchers. The idea is to bridge that gap between the conventional five-man major league rotation and the prospects because that's always – especially now, that's such a big – proponent of why people feel as optimistic as they do about the Marlins because aside from whoever is in the major league rotation at a certain time there's another wave and multiple waves you know right below them in the high levels of the minors that we can envision having an immediate impact so we're going to be giving our top six you'll be doing your number six then my number six your number five my number five getting up to number one and I'm sure there's going to be some overlap there at this point and just to reiterate the big idea here is to focus on the pitchers that give the team the best chance to win today and to be to be in that situation to contribute today you can't be hurt and that's an unfortunate risk that you take as a pitcher once the season actually gets underway we're recording this on january 20th you know still almost a full month until pitchers and catchers report more than two months until regular season games so for the moment, everybody is healthy. And that's why I wanted to get this together now while everybody's healthy. And before we get a little too thrown out of whack by what happens during spring training, we get our current thoughts. If everybody is on a level playing field, uh, imagining a must-win game, it's a neutral ballpark. You're going against a lineup, a balanced lineup. It's, it's as if, you know, right before the start of the game um, and all these neutral settings facing lefties, facing righties of, teamed up with a catcher that isn't of your choosing with a defensive alignment that you can't customize. It's, it's all about trying to judge the pitcher as independently as possible. Laying it out this way, it just ignores some of the politics that goes into putting together a roster because I think as people realize following the Marlins being kind of a small market team, it at any, any particular moment, the team isn't always able or determined to put their best possible talent at the major league level all at the same time, right? There are guys that deserve to be up sooner than they get called up. There are guys that have a longer leash and stay up at the major league level, even when they're struggling. And with, by expanding this to a top six, we can ensure that we are ignoring some of those like artificial barriers between uh, what we consider, you know, the guys that are ready now at the major league level and and who's not, We, we break down those barriers. We see through the BS in terms of how this team even if we believe in this front office overall, you know, there is some BS that goes into putting it all together with finances in mind, with the long-term in mind. And I think that's what's going to make this pretty valuable to people, right? Is that we can actually look at all these pitchers at the same time and actually uh, really 
pick them out and just judge them for what ultimately people care about the most. And that's how nasty they can be and how much they can help you win. Yeah. And I agree with that. And especially because some of the guys that you might trust most just based on their, you know, their persona, the way they conduct themselves on the mound, the kind of stuff they have um, are in the minors. And so, you know, we're not just talking about the five guys that we think will be uh, in the rotation. You know, there are a few guys on my list that um, might not touch the big leagues at all this year. Um, So I'm excited to, I love this pitching system so much. I love so many of these arms. Um, There are guys that I felt bad leaving off um, because of, you know, just what I think they can bring, but I'm just not sure if they're more ready than some of these guys are to pitch in a, in a must win game. Um, So I'm I'm ready to go. I'm, I'm ready to go when you are. So it's, it's, um, it's a unique thing to discuss. It's a unique idea. You know, you're not talking about the Marlins lineup. You just want to look at solely off of the pitcher. And so I think that the Marlins have a lot of guys that they could hand the ball to and feel pretty confident um, whether it's this year or whether it'll be, you know, three, four, five years from now. Yeah. And ultimately my idea is to put together a type of format where people can play along at home too. You know, everybody has their own takes on this stuff. Some better takes than others. And I personally, I'm, (laughs) I'm the first one to say that there's a lot that, I don't know about the nuances of pitching and all that, uh, but uh, following these guys pretty carefully and almost all these guys have joined the organization just the past few years. We've been able to see every step of their development. We've been able to see them through the minors and reach the majors and with, with others, we've seen every step of their pro career so far. We'll have you lead off. We're going to go back and forth and starting with your number six on today's aces rankings. I've been talking about these guys for, you know, years now. And, you know, with, with uh, some of the guys that came over in a trade, one guy that I won't be talking about today is Nick Neidert. He came over in a trade from the um, Seattle Mariners and he's a prospect that I love. Um, But the first guy that I want to talk about today, uh, number six on my rankings is Eddie Cabrera, Edward Cabrera, um, the 22 year old right-hander who has, who rocketed up um, prospect lists uh, in 2019, that was the last time that we saw Eddie on the Hill in a competitive baseball game. Of course, everything that ha- with everything that happened last season, um, we were unable to see Eddie. We were hopeful that we would see Eddie at some point in the major leagues, um, but that did not happen down the stretch in September. We thought maybe he could bring a little bit of a jolt to the rotation, but ultimately the Marlins decided against it. But I... Um, if you've listened to earning their stripes, if you've kept up with me on Twitter, if you've kept up with me on any of the fish stripes content that I've worked on, you'll know that I'm obsessed with Edward Cabrera. Um, he's got, you know, a big, hard fastball. I'm going to pump it up near a hundred. He won't run it up like six still will where he's pumping it one Oh two, you know, the whole game, but um, he's going to be throwing a hundred and uh, he's got a big hook and he's got this changeup that some are saying sitting around 90 um, and, and he's got a little bit of a ways to go. Um, you know, it was really just the, the 2019 is the one year that really kind of jumps off the page at you. But I mean, you want to talk about, you know, you, you mentioned in your intro, Eli, talking about independent, the focusing on just pitching, right? So there's a statistic for this and it's fielding independent pitching um, where it kind of takes some of the defensive factors out of it. And it shows that Cabrera has always been really good, except for one year. Um, in 2016, 
Um, his ERA was 4.21, which doesn't look great, but his FIP was 3.18. So that suggests he was getting some bad defensive luck. Um, in 2017, it was the same. His ERA was 5.3, but he had a 3.26 FIP. He also had eight K per nine that year. His K per nine has increased every year. Um, in 2018, it was a little bit of a struggle for him. He had a 4.22 ERA, 4.51 WHIP, or us uh, not WHIP, sorry, FIP. Um, but again, the strikeouts went up. And then this year is when it just uh, uh, last year, whatever year it was, I don't know, it's 2021 now, so two years ago. Um, 2019 is when it really all came together for Eddie. And the pitch, fastball called third strike. Well, that was a 94, but still had a lot of movement like fastball. Big strikeout. In, in in high A, he had a 2.02 ERA, 2.20 FIP um, in 11 starts in, in Jupiter, um, 11.33 Ks per nine. And then he went up to Jacksonville and he had eight starts in Jacksonville and he was great. Um, you know, 2.56 ERA, 10.01 K per nine. Um, but he, he's a guy that I'm very excited about because he's kind of like Sixto. He had some trouble with the home run, I should, should mention, in uh, 2019 or uh, in, in his stint in Jacksonville. And that probably just comes from facing better hitters, but um, he, 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 the way he jumped off the page in 2019 and he leaped into, because of how good he was, he leaped into top 100 lists. Um, I would say he's a consensus top 100 prospect. Now Uh, baseball America, I saw, what was the, what, where did they have him ranked? Do you know the number? Well, so this is, I'll, I'll get into this in a second. They did drop him, I believe at the end of 2020, he was number 62. And on uh-huh. the new one, he's down to 81. Uh-huh. I'll get into that in a second, but finish yeah. on him. And, 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 you know, he he came out of nowhere. At one point, he was like 99 on Pipeline, and then they re-ranked him and he moved up into the 80s. So he, clearly, he's a quick riser. Um, and I know you, you have some comments on that because of what we talked about the other day with him, but... Um, it, it, He's a guy that I, he still needs some time. So it was hard for me to pick him over a Nidert because Nidert's a little closer to the bigs and Eddie needs some fine tuning, but his come his stuff and the way he can get sh- strikeouts. Um, I, I feel very confident that he'll be a good pitcher for the Marlins. And, you know, there are some people that think that he um, is the ace and six. is the number two. I am personally not of that belief, um, but he, he, the Marlins have a really good one in Edward Cabrera. And I think if you hand him the ball, um, you know, he can, he can make some guys swing and miss for sure. Eddie just missed my top six, him and Nidert were in some order seven and eight for me, very different styles uh, of course. But, um, and I, I probably agree that the best version of Eddie is, is pretty incredible. Once he puts it all together, I did mention he over this off season, just based on where he was at the end of alternate training site during the summer base and compared to where he is now in baseball America, they dropped him almost 20 spots. One of the bigger fallers out of anybody. And uh, I was a little confused by that. And so actually Kyle Glazer of baseball America reached out to me to explain like very briefly why that was that they actually did have him higher than 81 in their internal conversations among the BA staff, but then from actual front office officials from outside the Marlins organization, uh, they were pretty uh, consistent that about moving him down. They called him a move down guy based on their feedback. It's still a little bit vague about what exactly their concerns are about him. We know that the Marlins themselves are super high on him. I mean, the way that Craig Mish reports about him 
it, I mean, he's kind of the one that almost started that debate between Eddie and Sixto because there are people within the Marlins organization that feel Eddie might actually be the better prospect. Uh, for whatever reason, outside the organization, there's uh, more debate about that. And he's, he's a guy that's, I mean, with almost all these prospects, it's so difficult to judge just because he did not play in any official games this past year. But he was, he was close to me. Instead, who I have at number six is uh, another prospect, an, another hard-throwing right-hander. It's Max Meyer, who was their first-round draft pick in 2020. A guy that, in terms of just a prospect evaluation, I might actually have Eddie higher than Max Meyer. But in terms of ones for this exercise about guys that I'd want in this situation, winning a game for me right now, I mean, what sticks out about Max is that he has that one special pitch. He has that unhittable slider, a 70 and 80 grade slider. That's almost as perfect as any pitch could be uh, in 2019. Um, we had Spencer Morris as, well, no, just in 2020, early 2020, we had Spencer Morris doing a lot of co-hosting on earning their stripes. He's someone that has studied, he studies the amateur prospects way more than I do. And of course, until just a few months ago, Max Meyer was an amateur player that uh, just popped on our radar at the last minute because we didn't even think the Marlins would take him at the top of the draft, right? The, the expectation we he, was- they would take Lacey. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And they had the opportunity to take Lacey and they passed on him. It was a very interesting decision, somewhat controversial. But Spencer has been beating this drum about Max Meyer even before then. He thought uh, just mano y mano. He preferred Max Meyer. And it all comes back to that slider. And, I mean, just a, con- a really convenient timing that, you know, just a few hours before we record this, Spencer was rewatching. I saw his tweet. Yeah, yeah I saw his tweet. I was going to bring that up. Yeah. So from Spencer, I mean, and I quote, his slider simply cannot be overstated. Not only the raw juice on it, but his ability to play with the velocity and shape, throw it in and out of the zone. It's just unfair. If I'm in this kind of situation where you want to roll the dice on a pitcher that has no official professional experience and uh, just hope for the best. If, if you get Meyer on the right day where that slider is working and he just throws it 50% of the time. And for the most part, it's missing bats and he's getting ahead in the count with it. Then I think good things could happen in that scenario. I mean, for as great as Eddie is and Eddie has a good breaking ball and he has a great fastball as well. But in terms of that one potentially transcendent pitch, that the one pitch yeah. that uh, in terms of being a prospect, I mean, the fallback plan for Max Meyer is he could be a great reliever, even if he doesn't have that right. perfectly well-rounded pitch mix, just because it is so special. And so that fastball to slider combo could be, yeah, that, that so, there were people that wanted Meyer out of the pen down the stretch. If they needed bullpen, if the Marlins needed bullpen help, because they thought that his fastball slider combo was already big league ready. And he had just drafted in June. And, you know, that would obviously never happen in a normal season, but with the way that, COVID changed the year where they might've wanted him to get some innings. Um, They were ready. You know, there were people that were ready to do it. It obviously didn't end up happening, but I mean, yeah, you, you talked about it, um, Eli uh, Meyer, according to pipeline has a 70 grade fastball and a 70 grade slider. Whereas Eddie has a 70 grade fastball and a 60 grade slider. They both have the same grade change up at 55. So they're both bringing that heat. And they're both bringing in a good hook, but like you said, one is transcendent 
and 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 one could be the pitch you know what i mean that that could be that signature um you know degrom slider or something like that um where it, that's what he's known for specifically and meyer i actually was really close to to doing this as well um i just couldn't because eddie's pitched in the pros and meyer hasn't and you know there's definitely something to be said for pitching at the college level. It's a high level and being, you know, leading a staff in a, in a, you know, I wouldn't say the big 10 is the best conference in college baseball, but it's still a power five conference in college base, you know, in college baseball. So there's something to be said for that. And I was almost ready to do it. I was ready to do it, but I mean, the Marlins, you know, people are, are, I mean, Myers ranked number three in our system right now. He's a top 50 prospect, um, according to Pipeline. And and everybody is super high on him. And the Marlins are, you know, like you said, I think I saw he was ranked ninth overall. And the Marlins had the third pick. And they had the guy right in front of them. They had Austin Martin, who's a great prospect, right in front of them. You know, hitting. And they need some bats. And they had Asa Lacey right in front of them, who was the, you know, surefire number one pitcher off the board. And it went with Meyer and, and that shows their belief in him and the kind of pitcher that they're looking for with this fastball and that hook. Yeah. The main reservation about Meyer, the knock on him is that he's undersized for a starting pitcher that is five eleven ish, maybe six feet on the right day. And you were, and there's just not that many examples of guys that size holding up year after year after year of being a starter. But um, I mean, that's you throw that out the window in for this exercise that we're doing. I mean, you're just focusing on one game. So I threw that away. Shortened 2020 season in Minnesota struck out 42 percent of batters faced as a starter when you're in a starting role. I mean, that's amazingly dominant that's for a reliever. But when you're yeah. going three times through a lineup in college in a couple of these instances, it's off the charts. And I mean, they did their best to get him like actual pro experience this year. They signed him in time for that full summer camp thing at the start of the year where he was at in Jupiter alongside Sixto and Trevor Rogers, who's coming up later, who um, some of the veterans as well. I mean, he got around all those guys during the start of summer camp throughout the regular season. He was still at the alternate training site as well. And they even kept him around a little longer than that for instructional league. It was right after summer camp. They didn't right after the season, they didn't send him home. They kept him around for almost another month for instructionals where that was against more guys, his own age, but through mm-hmm. that whole process, it's, it's like four months of learning experience, hands-on mm-hmm. with the coaches. I, I like to think that helped prepare him at least in some aspect. Uh, the Marlins have that philosophy first few weeks uh, when you're in the organization, they let you do your thing. But uh, right after that, they actually start coaching you up and they actually start making adjustments and we'll have to see what exactly those adjustments are. But for me, yeah, number six on here, uh, despite having no minor league experience whatsoever. <laughs> uh, I think as soon as he actually it gets shows, to do that. It shows how close he is. It yeah. shows how close he is to um, making an impact in this organization. Um, you know, because when do we ever take college pitchers um, and, and college pitchers can be ready to make an impact? You know, Casey Mize will probably be in the bigs this year. And uh, he was drafted, what, a year or two ago. So, um, yeah, you know, it's such a different story when you're talking about a college pitcher um, as, as being more refined than, you know, the, the usual pitchers like Trevor and Brax and Eddie and Sixto, you know, who 
come in as 16 year olds or whatever and and you got to develop them from something raw whereas they're already re- pretty refined in college and they still you know might need some fine tuning but um yeah it 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 makes such a difference when you have a guy that's that ready to the point where he will probably be in the bigs i'd say if not in september hopefully opening day next year Go ahead with number five on your rankings. All right. Well, you just mentioned him. I just mentioned him. Um, the big lefty, my favorite lefty in the system, it's Trevor Rogers. Um, this guy's a beast. Um, it, it, I, I want to say he's like six, six. He's listed at six, six on fan graphs, but I saw him up close when I went to the high A all-star game and that dude looks like a basketball player. Um, he is a monster and, and, we saw him in the biggest this year. I didn't expect to see him for a minute um, wearing that 95. I kind of hope he keeps that 95. That 95 is kind of sweet on the back of his jersey. Um, but I've been high on Rogers for a few years now. Um, I will say I was mad when the Marlins took him because Fiedo was coming out that year from Florida. And I loved Fiedo and I really wanted Fiedo, but um, Rogers has made me bite my tongue completely. Um, the guy has been tremendous. And, and one thing that I don't think we talk about enough with him is the strikeout numbers. Um, in 2018, he had a 10.53 K per nine, um, in Greensboro in, uh, or that was 2018 and 2019, 9.95 in high a 9.69 in five starts in double a, and then get this in seven starts in the big leagues last year, he had 12.54 Ks per nine. Um, the way that he got swings and misses with that fastball um, was something that I was so impressed with um, right away in his first start, in his first start, he was putting that fastball on the outside part of the plate to lefties and they weren't able to catch up to it. And, and he was getting it up. I think pop out around 97 in starts, maybe. Um, but he was really sitting around 93, 94 area, um, which is even harder than I thought he was going to throw. So I was super, super impressed um, with Rogers and you know, he got knocked around a little bit and that's expected. He's not a polished prospect. And the reason that I, you know, was a little bit weary about putting him on this list is because I think he'll probably start. He should at least start in the minors this year, um, unless he has a really, really good, it really impresses in the spring. Um but I loved what I saw from him in, in um, the, in the league this year, um, you know, last year in Jupiter, he was great. He had a 2.53 ERA, 2.74 um, FIP, and then a 1.10 whip. So I've been high on Rogers for a while now. I've been so impressed with his strikeout numbers in the minors and they translated to the bigs. He was getting a lot of swing and miss, like I said, on the fastball, but also on the off speed stuff. And, the big, the big league hitting just kind of caught up to him a little bit. You know, he had some con- command issues. Um, he was, couldn't, you know, guys were taking his pitches um, a lot and he was, he, his walks were way up from where they were in the minors. Um, but I like Trevor a lot. I think he's a very, very good prospect um, out of the two lefties in the minor leagues. I'm probably higher on him than Brax um, because he throws harder, but I, think he is the left the lefty in the Marlins system right now because one they don't have one at the big league level if I'm correct and right. two um yeah like I said out of the two lefties that kind of go together in my mind you know they were drafted back to back years and they're always pretty much ranked right next to each other on prospect lists um I'm a little bit higher on Trevor 
Um, and so he, I felt pretty good about him every time we gave him the ball um, in, in, in uh, you know, when he was up this year. And so I'd feel good about him going out there now. We're on the same page with Trevor. He's number five on my rankings as well. And just the surface stats, a 6-11 ERA in a super short rookie season. Uh, and the FIP tells a better story, the 4.33, right around league average. But when you were watching him, and I think anybody could agree, watching him, he even seemed more impressive than that. And yes. so you dig yes. a little bit deeper. And, and what I think represents his performance a little bit more is his expected weighted on base, which is a stat that comes from StatCast that they've been monitoring the last handful of years, a 278 expected weighted on base where the league average is about 320. He was well better than league average mm-hmm. in his weighted on base. And even when guys put balls in play uh, more often than not, they were just hits that were finding holes in the defense that yeah. again, this is stuff that's outside of his control, just digging a little deeper in terms of what he can control the sequencing of the, when those hits happened was kind of unlucky. Like there were some big crooked numbers put up against him yeah. that, um, if you just spread out those those base runners over a larger sample of innings, then he would have been a lot more effective in you know the run prevention department. That yeah, just by watching him, so impressive. Uh, more so than anything, I mean the fastball, uh, not just the velo as you mentioned, the velo was better than advertised, but also the command was better than advertised. Of that, mm-hmm. so many strikeouts that he had looking on the corners, yes. perfectly yes. at the knees. It it was yeah, you rarely see that. I mean, frankly. Uh, even from some of these guys ahead of him on the list that I don't even know if I trust their fastball command as much as right. we saw from him in that limited sample, got his feet wet a little bit in the postseason. He got that one relief appearance at the end, kind of in mop up duty, but that's better than nothing. Uh, if, if you actually want to know what to expect from him in the most high pressured of situations. Uh, but that's all I have to say about him. He was uh, more impressive than the stats would indicate. And I, uh, I, I think just really pleasant surprise from 2020. Yeah. So I just want to I just want to follow up on the bad luck factor that you're talking about with him, and he did have a lot of it. I was going to mention that um, just from watching his starts, but he had a 380 uh, Babbitt batting average on balls in play, which is really high, which suggests that he either had some lack of defense behind him or he just had some bad luck where guys were just finding holes. Um, and and but overall, yeah, the, I was surprised that the stats were that high like you said the FIP tells a little bit better story I feel like he was pretty league average um for the most part which for a guy that had never pitched above double a and we didn't expect to see in the bigs this year league average was really good and that strikeout number is extremely impressive so I'm I'm very high on Trevor very high yeah go ahead with number four all right, the next guy is a guy that um, we talked about recently, Eli, because of the article that I just wrote for Fish Stripes. Check that out about Adam Adovino. Um, But this is Eliezer Hernandez, and I didn't realize how impressive Eliezer um, was last year. His numbers were really, really good. He had a 3.16 ERA, 11.92 uh, case per nine. He only had six starts, but this is a guy that, He's on the Marlins roster now, and I've floated him around there, at, around out there as a trade piece because he has value. But while he's here, take advantage of that the fact that he's been pretty solid. Um, he was really good last year, um, really, really impressive last year. And um, 
you know, I, I don't know how he factors into the long-term plans. I'm not sure he does. I think the Marlins are going to kind of want to go. Um, he was a rule five pick, right? Um, I, I think that the Marlins are going to kind of want to go younger um, and, and go more towards their prospects. He's only 25, but I feel like they want to go towards these in-house guys that they've been grooming more. So it might leave him kind of on the outskirts, but while you've got him, like I said, while you've got him, you might as well take advantage because he's been great and he was big in some big games this year. Um, and so I, I think they've got a nice piece um, to just kind of keep some stability in the rotation if they want it right now where they could move him because he has a lot of trade value or they could keep him and he could be very valuable to your rotation. So it, it's a good piece to have in the rotation right now. 2-2. Two, two. And he got him up and away. Juan Soto, a rare strikeout. I assumed that you would have him even lower because of how excited you are to trade him. Like you, almost every proposal that uh, I guess this dates back to probably during the season. I mean, it's not just you, you know, it's some other yeah. fans as well that they're just like waiting for him to come back down to earth and they kind of seem to want to get rid of him before that happens. He doesn't yeah. have that, he doesn't have that big fastball. I mean, that's the one thing yeah. that stands right. out is in terms of velo. Uh, compared to everybody else, like even in this discussion, I mean, it's kind of in the same realm as Nick Nider, but Nick Nider mm -hmm. is more polished pitcher overall. I mean, the big breakout with Eliezer was with his slider starting in um, 2019, actually, where, I mean, that season was more up and down, but he was finally able to get swings and misses with that. And um, he, all, he really put it together during limited time in 2020. He's the one guy here that is coming off an injury, but that was, five months ago. And when, mm. when asked about it, that was with a, a lat muscle. It was nothing structurally wrong, no surgery. Mm. And uh, when Kim Eng was asked about this uh, a couple of months ago, she already said that they don't have any lingering injuries from the season, that he's going to be good to go. And so that's why he's eligible for this, even though he ended the regular season mm. on the, on the IL. But I mean, yeah, to me, he is um, pretty, yeah, this, this part of the list, it was uh, really tough for me to split hairs because he's a lot different from someone like Trevor Rogers, obviously stylistically right. in terms of his lack of prospect pedigree. And in terms of his, uh, his velo, um, honestly, the, the one thing holding him back, because I mean, last year an ERA in the low threes striking out um, his strikeout rate was almost as high as Trevor's was that the performance was really great and he actually got the results to kind of back it up i mean the one thing that holds it back for me is that this lingering issue he has that i think the marlins are attributing it to a blister that develops on his mm -hmm. fingers every time he makes a start like people notice that even when he was pretty dominant in some starts this past year that right. they did not trust him they to go three times through the order they didn't trust right. him to go deep into games he, he hasn't pitched into the seventh inning with the right. marlin he's been on the major league roster last three years and he hasn't pitched mm -hmm into the seventh inning in any start career high, just 101 pitches. Um, and for the moment, we just don't know if there, there's going to be anything they can do to really resolve that, or if there's any mm -hmm. adjustments he can make about that. And so for me, that does put a little bit of limit on exactly what you would get for him in an, any individual game, right? Because if we're mm -hmm. looking at this in terms right. of looking one at game, it, and you're getting five to six innings and those are good innings. You know what I mean? He, he had a lot of those starts where it was five or six and then, you know, you'd have to turn it over the pen. And with the way that it was in 2020, the pen was taxed all the time. Yeah. So I've 
I'm really impressed with him. I think there's something sustainable here with this letter. And also just the fact that he pounds his own. He is right up there at the top of the league in terms of pitches that he actually throws in the strike zone. And that can get him in trouble with home runs. Mm -hmm. I mean, he has uh, a mixed track record with actually keeping the ball in the park. Uh, All things considered, though, uh, I think he's pretty good. I'm not as eager to trade him as uh, some other people Mm -hmm. are, but I understand both sides. But uh, I'm I'm hopeful that they hold on to him for a a little while longer because he's – He's legit. He's really solid. I'll say here that I'm not as hope. I'm not necessarily eager to trade him with the way that I was with Caleb, because I saw Caleb, I saw the crash down to earth coming a little bit. Um, I just think we need bats and we need an impact bat. And so when Eliezer has the value that he does, where he can be included in a trade for an impact bat, that's that's just where you know my tendency to include him in trades is is because there are a lot of options out there where you're looking at it and you're looking at okay what could this you know what what would this deal kind of look like and everything kind of involves Eliezer you know what I mean like even Benintendi you know there are the rumors about Benintendi where they say oh they want a bat and a pitcher you know they want the only reason you say well you know, you wouldn't say Eliezer is because it said that they want a non 40 man pitcher or whatever. So they want to go young with their pitching, but that could be another deal where you could, you know, because of the value that he has, where he can lock down a fourth or fifth spot in the rotation, eat, you know, eat some innings for you. Like you said, there is the, you know, the issue with longevity, but he can get you five or six really good innings. And like you said, you know, he, he had six starts this year. He only had one decision. So, you know, that's either him not going very long or not getting to the point of the game where the game is decided. So, um, but I think he's solid enough to hand him the ball. And, and if you have, you know, if you can get him six, you need three guys out of the pen, seven, eight, nine, you know, if all goes well. So is he your number four or is he not on your list? No, he's, he's number four. I mean, we uh-huh. halfway through these lists, we're calling this working title for this, uh, the series today's aces opens here suggestions to fans in terms of what you guys want to call this. But uh, yeah, our pitchers that we trust most must win game right now, halfway through Ethan with number six, Edward Cabrera, number five, Trevor Rogers, number four, Eliezer Hernandez. And for me, number six, Max Meyer, number five, Rogers and number four, Eliezer. So uh, we're, we're halfway through uh, heading back to you for number three. I imagine that we have the same three at the top, but we'll see exactly what order those guys are in. So I'm curious um, to see if we agree on number three, because I feel like number one is probably the same. And then number two and three, you might be able to play around with, but the guy, even though he was tremendous in the playoffs this year in two starts, I thought he was really, really good in two starts this year. I'm going to put Sandy at number three. Um, And it's just because he gets a little wild sometimes. And, and like I said, he was um, he was great in Chicago. Um, let me see if I can find the numbers on the uh, playoffs. He was great in Chicago. I was so impressed with how he did in Chicago um, in that in that playoff game. And he was pretty good against Atlanta too. Um, and and he is he is the ace of this staff. So it sounds weird to say you know in a must win game that you wouldn't give the ball to your ace, um, but. 
like I said, he just gets a little wild and gets knocked around sometimes. Um, against Atlanta, he had, you know, he let up eight hits and five runs. They, you know, they jumped on that fastball. They got to him. They knocked him around pretty good. You know, Acuna took him deep or whatever. But, um, you know, against Chicago, 6.2 inning, six and two-thirds innings, three hits, one run, um, you know, four strikeouts. He had eight strikeouts against the Braves. And, and, I would have him higher if I trusted his command day in and day out more. Um, I'm so high on Sandy. His stuff is electric. Um, he was so great at times this year, um, even coming, you know, coming back from um, dealing with COVID-19. I mean, his road numbers better than his home numbers. Another strikeout of Stanton. Love Sandy. And I think that right now I would say he's the ace of the staff, but there are just two guys that I would trust a little bit more on the mound in a must-win game. And they were actually guys that I wanted the Marlins to go to. Um, but Sandy proved me wrong. He was really, really good against Chicago. And he was, I, I thought, I think that line that he had against the Braves was a little harsh because it felt like he pitched a lot better than that. It felt like he pitched a lot better than an eight hit five run game. So um, but I love what I, we saw from Sandy this year, and he should lead the staff going into this next season. I want to see him get the ball on opening day. Um, he was the opening day starter this past season, and I hope he is again this year. Yeah, In that Braves game, there were a few inherited runners that they, they let in. I mean, that was a game that Yumi Garcia finally came back down to earth after that amazing right. season he Blew put up. together. Yeah, he, yeah he, uh, he just choked in that situation, and that was with – I think he took over with a couple guys in scoring position and they came around to score. So yeah, even in that second start, second playoff start, he was, he pretty much did his job. And you said it in terms of a guy that keeps proving us wrong. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely someone that I remember pretty deep into 2019 season feeling that he should get sent down to AAA. that he was, he had all this great stuff, but he was not harnessing it. He was not missing bats. And uh, I just, I thought he needed some tinkering midway through that 2019 season, and he made those adjustments. Yeah, I was going to say he t- he tink- he did tinker. He he tinkered a little bit with with um the way he was approaching um, hitters. Yeah, there's there's a pretty clear line to me right at the end of July in 2019. It was actually after that he named him an All Star, and it was actually yes. not only until after the All Star game that I felt he really he was, locked in. Really great. I mean, there's a frankly, it's been that's that's the thing about him is that he since then last couple months of 2019 all throughout 2020 that he's going to give you something representative he's going to help he's going to contribute something he doesn't get crushed he doesn't get crushed anymore he always has um he has a great way of composing himself in rough situations and of course he has that amazing velo and sinking movement on his fastball that is able to repeatedly keep the ball on the ground that's something that is, I think, pretty sustainable, even though he's someone that um, the stats don't fully back up what he's been doing. He's a guy that throughout his career, the FIP is a lot higher than the ERA for his career. It's like eight tenths of a run difference between the three, seven, one ERA, the four, four, nine FIP. Uh, but he's a guy that to me is going to continue to overperform what that says because of the way that his stuff moves. And I'd I say agree. more so than anybody else uh, in the, high levels of the organization he does have a deep pitch mix it's 
the the sinker he's able to throw a four seamer as well it's multiple breaking balls both the slider and an occasional curve and the changeup the changeup is nasty i mean his changeup is as hard as eliezer's fastball it's something that regularly gets over 90 and has amazing dip to it and he's able to especially this past season smaller sample size but he was missing more bats than ever before this year or more so mm-hmm. like if you really dig into it he was always missing bats before, but this time he's actually converting them into strikeouts. And, and that's right. something that is uh, a really fascinating thing to study in terms of when you can actually get those whiffs with two strikes when they actually are really, really important. And he just continues to really, really impress me. He is the most experienced guy in the organization right now, which is crazy yep. to think about. It. Which is crazy. It is crazy. It is crazy. But I'll tell you what, Eli, I actually, funny enough, did a paper for a class about Sandy um, and, and the way he changed when he started tunnel using that sinker more and how he was one type of pitcher when he wasn't using the sinker a lot. And then he was a completely different type of pitcher when he started using the sinker a lot and he was getting more swings and misses. And we were all concerned about the fact that Sandy's got this big stuff and he's just, you know, supposed to be this big strikeout pitcher because of, of the high velo and the good slider. And when he first came up with the Marlins, he wasn't getting a ton of swings and miss, but I just kept saying it's working. You know, it doesn't matter how it happened. It was working um, in, in, you know, in 2018, in 2019, when he had that full year and he had those couple starts, you know, he had the complete game. And then I think he had an, a, did he pitch two complete games that year? He, I know he threw a Maddox once, which was the craziest thing to see. Two complete games, yeah. Two shutouts. Sandy Alcantara yeah. throw a Maddox, but yeah, he, he had two complete game shutouts that year. And um, I I just said that it doesn't. Ma- it, it, he's one of those guys where it shouldn't work because he, you know, was they putting the ball in play a lot and and it was hard contact, but it just does somehow i don't know how um but it doesn't matter because he gets the results and he was he was really good this year um and and uh, like you said the strikeouts went from um his k per nine 2019 when he had a full 32 game season um was 6.89 and in 2020 was 8.36 so that's a va- that's a big improvement and that's something the marlins will be looking for and that that sinker is a pitch that was getting a ton of swing and miss and it, it was really that was what did it for him that was the adjustment that he made and it was right like you said in july it was right when he st- that was right when he started using it more. It correlates. I remember because I did this paper on, but it, it that was exactly when it correlated with the increased sinker usage and the increased results. I'm such a believer now in Sandy in terms of the results and the recent consistency and the intangibles for what those are worth. That uh, he's not number three. He is higher on the list for me. My number yeah. three guy. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. And this was this is the toughest decision uh-huh. on the list for me between Sandy and my number three guy, um, who is Pablo Pablo Lopez. Yeah, I was super. I was as high as could be on Pablo entering 2020. I predicted he'd be the best pitcher in the rotation, the most valuable pitcher in the rotation. And he was, I mean, mainly because he just stayed healthy the whole year. He avoided COVID. I don't know. There's not really any skill in that. He just got kind of lucky, but it was a career (laughs) year for him in 2020. Uh, I mean, for his career overall, a 4.47 ERA, a 4.03 FIP, but way better than that. Both departments during 2020, 
he got way more he took a page out of sandy's books he got even more ground balls than sandy did in 2020 a big part of that being his changeup. he's had a great changeup ever since he came up and he started using it more and it was really successful for him in terms of getting ground balls missing a few more bats than ever before he pitched once in the postseason and he did pretty well against the braves i mean he had the best start out of anyone in that series uh even though they ended up losing that game getting swept in the series so he got that experience under his belt and you can't say enough about him his his intangibles and his character and how much um how important he is to the clubhouse i mean he's just the nicest person you could ever think of uh, and someone that doesn't quite have the same potential as uh, the same raw stuff as Sandy or as Sixto or as uh, some of the other guys we've already mentioned, but he is, he's really clever and he puts a lot of effort into, into getting the most out of his stuff and putting together a amazing game plan to maximize his success. Like he's a guy that you would hope, I mean, he's one that, technically was not part of this rebuild he was already here acquired uh final few months before the ownership change uh and i hope that they i i still consider him i still kind of consider him part of that rebuild because that was kind of the you know luria and all them were kind of on the way out and that was kind of when mike hill was allowed to just really do his thing and i thought he did a great job at the end there um you know that was in that flurry of trades where like he was he in the D Gordon trade or was he in the that was the was David that Phelps year? trade? David Phelps he over the, the summer. Right. He was in the David They were both the Mariners. So Phelps went to the Mariners and got Pablo and then D went to the Mariners and got Nidert. Um but I remember, you know, when Pablo um over thinking that he was a five or a four or a, or a swing arm kind of. Um I see him as a, as a three going forward. Um, if, if, you know, maybe he gets bumped down because, you know, you, you look at the Marlins having Sandy and Sixto and Eddie, maybe he gets bumped down to that four spot, but I think on a team with less pitching depth, you could look at Pablo as a two or a three. Um, and, and like you said, it's his composure, um, and I don't, I don't know if you were done talking about him before I go into he's, – he's next on my list. He's number two. Um, and the reason that I have him over Sandy is because of the intangibles that you talked about. Um, I almost put him number one because I actually wanted him in game two in Chicago um, because I looked at it as either, either up and – you go to him to shut it down. You're either you're up one nothing and you're you give it to him, or you're down one nothing. You're down oh one. You give him the ball and get to that game three where you can give the ball to Sixto and say, "Here you go, kid. You know this is your moment. Show us what you got and and go out swinging." Um, and I actually wanted Pablo in game two, and I kind of wanted Pablo in game two against Atlanta. I didn't like that we put him on the mound down down to nothing already because that series but let's face it that series you know once six still blew up and everything that series was over um so i yeah i've got him at number two because of that demeanor that he has and his improved changeup, um his case his case per nine went up from 7.68 to 9.26 last season um and his era dipped his fip was actually um, 
about 0.6 lower than his ERA. Um, it was he had a 3.61 ERA and 3.09 FIP. I'm bad at math, so somebody can do that for me. But um, he he was really really good. Like you said, he was the best pitcher that the Marlins had this year. Um, he's kind of the anchor of the staff right now. You know what you're going to get when he's out there every night. You know you're going to get really good innings. And uh, you talked about that Atlanta game. Five innings, three hits, two runs, seven strikeouts, no walks. That's just um, a day in the life, you know, for him. So he struck out so, Acuna so three times. Three times in that game, he struck out Acuna yep, too. Yep. In, in oh, like I remember. I remember. Yeah, we 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 needed that one. So very very impressed with what with the 2020 that he. Yeah. F- final couple thoughts on Pablo. Why I have him below Sandy? Uh, it's one the consistency. I think if you draw that line for Sandy back to August of 2019, the consistency is ridiculous. And with Pablo, it's, it's, it's also pretty good, but not quite the same. Um, I think there are situations where, uh, yeah, he's just too hittable. He's a guy that does throw strikes, but he's too hittable. Um, I don't, the ground ball rate did spike up a lot last year, but I'm not totally sold on that being part of his profile moving forward. I think he's going to be more susceptible to home runs than Sandy. And the other thing is the splits when he throws with Chad Wallach, he is awesome. And Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the one particular thing that they do together is they do suppress home runs, uh, 42 innings during the regular season that he's thrown with Chad Wallach. He's allowed one home run in 42 innings. Um, But when he pit, when he paired up with anybody else, I mean, that's when some of these blowups happen, uh, whether it's with Alfaro or also with, you know, any other number of catchers that are no longer with the organization or more uh, backup types that when the splits put with him, when he throws with, with to Wallach versus everybody else are, uh, I, I think, sort of significant. And if you're just looking at the pitcher in a vacuum, someone that can unleash the best version of himself, no matter who he's working with, um, that I, I, those splits and how dramatic they are they kind of give me a little bit of pause that mm-hmm. in I mean, ideally, if you are having him pitch like a must-win game, then they probably are pairing him up with Chad Wallach. But but in terms of focusing on the individual as much as possible and nothing else outside of that, uh, that's where I discount him just a little bit for this exercise. Uh, but uh, we know where we're both going with number one. So introduce us yeah, to Sixto Sanchez. I mean, it, it was hard to pick him over Sandy and Pablo just because they have more experience, but also it wasn't. Um, this is the future ace of the Miami Marlins. You're you're looking at him. You saw it from the first start um, in Washington. You, you saw it with him right away. Um, just electric, electrifying. Um, I haven't felt that way about watching a Marlins pitcher since Jose Fernandez. Nobody has taken me captive taking the ball. I couldn't keep my eyes off of him when he was on the mound. Um, the the way he conducts himself, he's got that swagger that Jose brought to the position um, where he's striking guys out and he's staring guys down and he's, you know, he's all over pitching Ninja. Rob Friedman loves him because he's got these little struts and these little, you know, follow throughs that he does where he's just saying, I'm better than you. I got you out. Um, he was so impressive and his stuff is so electric. 
and he was very impressive against Chicago in what you could consider a um, a must win game. Um, you know when he went out and he shut them he shut them out. Um, sorry, I'm looking at the fan graphs, not the game log here. Um, he shut them out in Chicago and kept them off the board in a playoff game as a rookie. Um, you know it, it, he wasn't supposed to be in the bigs. Um, at that point, he had five five innings, four hits, no runs, two walks, six Ks. Um, everything that we heard about him was true. Um, exceptional command, electric stuff, the fastball, you know, with the with the way it sinks and it dives and it moves and the velocity that he has on it. Um, the curveball is coming along. The slider was getting a ton of swings and misses, and that changeup is just pure and utter filth. I mean, it's running up there, you know, 90 and above, um, and it's dotting, it's painting corners and getting guys to miss. Um, electric is, I keep going back to electric, but it's really the word for him. Um, he is electrifying. Every time he takes the mound, um, you have to keep an eye on him. And I, it was crazy that, you know, Pablo was probably the guy I felt best about because you knew what you were going to get with him. And with Sixto, you were always a little cautious that, you know, maybe he could blow up because he's a rookie. And he never really did. Um, except for, I guess, that Braves. He had a couple bad starts against the Braves. The Braves kind right. of figured him out. And the Nationals had a start. You know, there was a start against the Nationals where they kind of knocked him around. But other than that, people couldn't figure him out. Uh, and, and, um, he is going to be the ace um, going forward. I feel very confident in saying that he, you know, can be cemented. I, there, you know, nobody really knows a hundred percent. He's going to, he should be there on opening day. I don't think there's reason to send him back to triple a. Um, I don't think, I think the things that he needs to work on in terms of the fact that he got knocked around um, by guys that had seen him a second time, so lineups that had seen him a second time, the Nationals got to him when they saw him again, and the Braves got to him when they saw him again. I think that's something that comes with being in the big leagues and you just work on as you, know, as you become more experienced. So um, I, this guy, we, we, we got a great one. And, um, you know, if the Phillies don't end up keeping JT, which, you know, all, all of a sudden now it might be more lucky that, um, you know, it, it, there might be, sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second. Uh, it, it's looking more likely that they could, um, keep him. Um, but if they don't, you know, the Marlins, what an unbelievable job they did turning, um, a great player, um, into their, their future ace. And he is, um, just that. He, uh, same as you, um, it's difficult to compare with the previous two guys because of the less major league experience. I mean, what jumps out to me the most um, among, I mean, you covered a lot of it with what you said already. The other particular thing for this exercise is just how amazingly efficient he is with his pitches in most cases. And this is something that really jumped out to me back in 2019 at double a where he was totally for someone his age back then. And I mean, this is even more so in the major leagues being a lot younger than his competition and yet being able to be so efficient uh, on average plate appearances against him, three pitches, three and a half pitches per plate appearance opponents. He gets through it so quickly um, in a variety of ways, whether it's missing bets 
whether it's getting those cheap grounders, he's he gets through things quickly. And if all the pressure is him on one game and you want to trust one guy to go deep into that game, I mean, he's probably the guy that can go deep because he doesn't, he really doesn't waste pitches. And when he throws right. it outside the zone, he's usually getting you to chase at it. No. And so many of his pitches are actually in the zone itself. Uh, I mean, during the regular season this past year, three, four, six ERA, and the FIP is almost identical, 350. Um, the expected weighted on base it backs that up too. It's even better than Trevor Rogers, a 262, where, you know, league average is well over 300. That first start in the majors, people were impressed by his pure stuff, but he did allow two home runs in that start. And then the entire rest of the year, including the playoffs, just one total home run allowed. So if you want to look at guys that uh, in almost any case, as long as he's keeping the ball in the ballpark, you know, he's going to give you a chance to win. And he's able to do that with the unique pitch mix that he has and the amazing uh, qualities of his stuff that he could keep the ball in the ballpark too, just like Sandy can. But uh, even with a little more of that well-rounded skill set than Sandy has. So he's extremely, extremely impressive. It's the same. Uh, I, I mean, honestly, I, I guess it, even more of a concern than Max Meyer uh, being undersized relative to other starting pitchers in terms of height and also in terms of his actual level of fitness and right. exactly uh, how, how, what kind of shape he's in, <laughs> that there's still some work to do there. And uh, until he does that, um, I mean, that could get in the way of things like repeating your delivery and of course uh, leaving you susceptible to injury until he takes the fitness more seriously. I mean, we're not that far removed from spring training 2020 where he showed up fat. I mean, not, not yeah. out of shape. He no. showed up fat. There's no, so, no, there's no other way to put it. He was fat. He was fat. Yeah. No. And for 100%. that reason, for that reason, he did not pitch in spring training games in 2020 because they said you need to focus on your conditioning. That's your first, second, and third priority until you get into games. So we, he was like the only guy on the 40-man roster that didn't appear in spring training games, uh, not because of injury, but because of his conditioning. That's that's something when you talk about intangibles that we've we've gotten to know Sandy and Pablo really well. Uh, to be fair to Sixo, we don't we just don't know him quite as well due to the lack of major league experience. And I mean, this is a bias that goes against us. The fact that he's not fluent in English yet, that we just haven't gotten to know him quite as well to understand uh, those, those little nuances of who he is as a person and how that's going to play a role and how he adjusts uh, to adversity between starts, during starts, et cetera. That's a little bit more of a question mark than the other guys. Um, I mean, I think we've got it all covered with six though. The other thing that just sticks out to me that um, it, sort of outside the parameters of this exercise is, of course, how much hype he was getting almost immediately in his first few starts. Uh, the comparisons to Pedro Martinez, who is his idol, the actual relationship that he has formed with Pedro, the, actually having conversations with him on the air, as well as privately, that Pedro has taken a liking to him. Uh, Pedro has been pretty effusive in his praise, and uh, going that comparison between the two um, has been made too much. And I see that as something that I want to keep an eye on that we don't treat him as a finished product because right. I think you were pretty careful with your wording there, the future ACE, the fu like moving mm -hmm. forward, there's so much upside with him and we could see some of that like manifesting itself as soon as this year. I mean, yeah. he could really break out as that star pitcher right now, but anyway, you slice it, the overall body of work that we have so far, it's still premature. There's still more that he has to 
get a grip on. There was those few, you can't totally wipe under the rug some of those blowups that he had in that last postseason start, right. that second time that he faced the Nationals. Um, That's that was the probably concern. the most painful one, seeing yeah. that start live against the Nats and, and how they were on it. They were on everything that he had. They were not missing. That uh, they're, they're still, yeah, there are still days where he just, he's still throwing hard he's still mixing his pitches but yet he doesn't have it like there's um there's still enough of an unknown about him that hopefully more experience is gonna take care of that um maybe just maturity will take care of that that there's still some risk with him some substantial risk and there's still that separation between where he is now and that ultimate potential of you know being one of the faces of all baseball again i i you talked about it the fact that it was the teams that have seen him twice scares me. The, the, they game plan for him and they figured him out and they knocked him around. They knocked him around good. You know what I mean? They were hitting the ball and they were hitting it hard. And he didn't give up a lot of hard contact this year. He didn't, the ball didn't leave the ballpark against either of those teams. Um, but, you know, four hits against the Braves, four runs, four hits against the Braves, four runs, eight hits against the Nationals five runs um and he you know he had four walks against atlanta um and his last regular season started he had three walks against atlanta in the postseason he had two walks against washington um in this you know the second time he faced them but i saw him against philly and he it, it jumps off the page at you um but yeah there like you said it's not finished yet he shouldn't get the ball on opening day yet. I still would give it to Sandy and I'd probably give it to Pablo on opening day before I give it to him right now. Um, and, you know, depending on if they, the Marlins bring in a veteran starter, which I've been a proponent of, I'm not sure I would give it to him over whichever veteran starter they bring in um, because he's not polished yet. But we do have to acknowledge the fact that his hype has only increased um, he moved up on MLB pipeline. He was 20, he was sitting around this 24 to 26 range for a while. He's now at 19 baseball America ranked him as the number one overall pitching prospect. Um, there's something to be said for that. Uh, he was the, no, he's the number six overall prospect. Um, he was ranked higher than Nate Peterson on baseball America. And um, he was ranked number three on right on the right-handed pitchers list by MLB pipeline. So there's something to be said for how much hype he's getting. And it's something that we have to deal with. I, I'm not ready to say Pedro yet. His changeup is fantastic, but I wouldn't say it's quite a Pedro changeup. Um, my buddy Ian Smith, who you guys have heard, you know, um, when, when we were on earning their stripes together, um, said Cueto to Johnny Cueto. And I see that a lot more than I see Pedro really. Um, but I mean, he, he, he's got it and he's not quite there yet. He's not one of the best pitchers in the league yet. And maybe he does have that breakout year we're expecting. And he goes on and wins rookie of the year. Um, and it's very possible. Um, but he has some growing to do. Like you said, he needs to come into camp in shape this year because he needs to throw in spring training um, he can't take a spring training off because he's got to be ready for opening day, um, uh, you know, to be in the rotation. I'm not saying he's going to start on opening day, um, but it, 
that just comes, he's 22, right? You know, it just comes with the age and he's, he's got to get a little more mature. And I think that, like I said, that game planning where teams won't knock him around a second time after seeing him, because there's, first of all, there's a lot of teams that haven't seen him period. Um, You know, there's about, let me count. Uh, One, two, three, four, five, six. There's, 25 23 other teams in the league that haven't seen him at all so they're you know they're gonna see him for the first time but then the colorado rockies are gonna see him again and does he get knocked out knocked around by the colorado rockies the second time he sees them so i just think that comes with you know a full season and kind of getting into a rhythm as the season goes on and obviously this season was so different but getting into a rhythm, getting into a game plan, showing a different game plan on certain nights and being able to work lineups in different ways. And um, I think that will come with time for Sixto. It's not a concern. I'm not concerned about him at all. Uh, I have no concern over him. He was a rookie last year and he was probably even better than I could have expected. Um, but there, there are, it right. It, he's not, a hun- there are still things he needs to work on. He's not a hundred percent ready yet. But when he is, he should and probably will be the ace of the Marlins rotation. As long as the hype doesn't get to his head, as long as he yeah keeps his head down and keeps working on the little things, he's receptive to coaching and advice that he gets. He's I mean, even though they don't have at this moment, they don't have like a conventional veteran on the staff. And that's been like one of my gripes about the offseason is they haven't gotten that classic veteran yet. Uh, but we've we've already covered Sandy and Pablo and how those guys are young veterans, the way the experiences that they've yes. had and uh, the way that they're wired. They are wired like guys that they, they're going to help. They're going to help if you let them help you. So especially that, that, pa- especially Pablo with with the way that he's just the nicest guy you've ever met. And doesn't it feel like this season, even though it was only 60 games, was kind of like two years? Like, you know what I mean? Like that that experience. I can't imagine how valuable it was. Like you said, they're young veterans um, because they've been through so much already and they've had to be the leaders of the staff already. So Sixto is going to have to be a leader on this staff if they don't go out and sign a veteran starting pitcher, which I think they probably might, you know, somebody cheap because they've got to find a fifth spot. They've got to find five. I'm not sure Rogers will be, you know, they've got four, I would say. And then are they ready to throw Rodgers out there from the opening day rotation? I don't know. So, but he's going to have to be, yeah, he's going to have to be a leader of this staff. And and um, he's going to learn quickly. And I think that going through the type of season that he did should help him. Yeah, just, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be really exciting to see it play out. Uh, I guess one other reason though, the timing of this first episode of these rankings uh, why I felt it was appropriate is because I feel like we're at a point in the offseason where the remaining starting pitchers out there, veterans in free agency, they're either going to cost too much money for the Marlins to sign or the ones that they can afford. I'm not sure they're going to crack this top six. You know, they're guys that you could put in the opening day rotation and on the opening day roster in the majors, but that doesn't mean they're actually one of the six most talented starters in the organization. And um, so that's why. Right. Let's say we sign Anibal Sanchez, you know, He's had some great moments, but are you sending, you know, this version of Anibal Sanchez out there over Sixto? No, no. 
right? So we, we will adjust accordingly. Uh, that's the fun of this is that we could adjust it a lot depending on how these events play out. Uh, once again, the working title of this or today's aces uh, and our rankings from one to six for Ethan, it was Sixto Sanchez, uh, Pablo Lopez, number two, Sandy Alcantara, number three, Eliezer Hernandez, number four, Trevor Rogers, number five, and Edward Cabrera, number six. Uh, for me, we have a lot in common. Uh, also, number one, Sixto. I have Sandy at number two, Pablo at number three, Eliezer four, Trevor five, and Max Meyer at number six. Uh, so we want to hear from you, all the listeners, if you're listening on uh, your favorite pod provider on our website, you're catching a little snippet of this on social media. Uh, this exercise is, is pretty universal. Just follow the basic ground rules, the guys that you trust in a vacuum, in a must-win game. Of all the pitching talent in this organization, there's a ton of it. And I'm really excited to just see how this stuff evolves over the course of the year. But this was a good opportunity to do it while everybody's still healthy and while um. There's still so much in our minds imagining how this is going to look over the course of a more normal year, hopefully soon under circumstances where you can play safely in front of fans after not being able to do that at all last year. That's another variable that it's, it's pretty hard to account for in this exercise because all the recent pitching that we saw from these guys in 2020 yep, empty stadium. ballparks. Yep. Well, and, and definitely we want, I want to hear from you guys, um, you know, follow me at, my full name at Ethan Badowski on Twitter. Um, that's where I've been putting up a lot more of my fish stripes content, moving away from my um, other accounts. So follow me there. And um, w- when I post up the link to this pod, send me your six. I want to hear them um, for sure, because I feel like a lot of them will be pretty similar, but maybe somebody's got Brax in there. Maybe somebody got not, you know, there are so many guys, like you said, you, you said about eight or nine that you considered. And I would say there were about that many as well. Um, because, you know, Brax was left off and Neidert was left off and Meyer was left off. So, um, yeah, there, I, I want to hear from you guys and kind of get a feel for how the fan base feels about the or, you know, the, the totem pole of pitchers in this organization. Take it out of the hands of the team because the team uh, makes a lot right. of good choices, but some <laughs> that are a little questionable and some that aren't always motivated in terms of winning right now. But that's the mentality we want to have coming off a postseason appearance, year four, the rebuilds. Uh, we want to put our minds on the win now and exactly uh, the best way to utilize all these great players that they've compiled together um, together in the organization. So for Ethan Badowski, I'm Eli Sussman. Uh, today's Aces version one for 2021. Looking forward to your feedback. Uh, check us out on this podcast feed for a lot of other content the rest of this offseason. And of course, once the games get started, we'll be busier than ever. Thanks for the support and go fish. Go fish.